today. Today I feel appreciated. I, uh, my wife kept saying, you know, I'll take this with me. But I think there's money in here, so I got it. I'll just keep it right there. Uh, I did want to mention um, one thing. Uh, Harry Wanda Torres back here, they wanted me to let you guys know that they're, they're deeply appreciative of all the things that you've done for them, um, taking care of them since, since uh, Harry had a stroke. And then Wanda, she, she had to get in on the action and start breaking hips and things like that. And, but, uh, but they wanted to let you know, thank you for all the stuff and the meals, and there's still people doing things for them. And so we want to we wanna thank you for that, too. That's, I mean, that happens around here. Uh, if you want free meals, um, have a stroke, something like that, and uh, <clears throat> and we'll provide those. But don't do that because it's not right to do that. So, um, but uh, and 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 to remind you of this too, keep praying for Harry. Harry's really come a long way. There's a lot of things that the doctors are saying. Hey, this is not possible. Uh, one, just the fact that he's alive—that is already a miracle. And in his right side, he's 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 um, got the the full motion, everything in the right side. But his left side's still not good. And so we're going to keep praying for him. Uh, in this process. So anytime you're thinking about it, Harry won't mind if you just walk over and pray for him, like as he's leaving the church or something. But um, but uh, but thank you for that, and, and keep praying for them too. The last few weeks we've been showing, well, quite a while now, we've been showing videos that uh, that want to, our goal is to try to um, get you connected in the, in the uh, body of Christ you need to, and, and the fact that Scripture actually calls us a body of Christ, not a religious movement, that kind of thing. That, uh, that to be part of this, you really, you really need to get involved connected relationally. You need to have the, the, a body works when, when, it's, when there is a connection, there's, there's a relationship happening with Christ, the head of this thing. And so we've been, we've been promoting and pushing you to get involved in, um, in relationships, connection like our life groups and those things. We also have been promoting and want you to get involved in uh, some of the doing things. There's a lot of things to do some in the kingdom of God, and we've got a lot of things around here at Church of Briargate for you to do, so that's part of what we've been uh, engaging you with. And so this video this morning is about our safety team, and the face of this is uh, Patrick David. Hi, I'm Patrick David, head of the safety team here at Church of Briargate. Our goal is to provide a safe and friendly environment for all to worship and seek God. If you can pass a background check, can attend quarterly trainings, and are responsive with your email and phone calls, we could use you on the team. What this entails is spending one Sunday a month at least, being out in the foyer, being out in the sanctuary, and just keeping a watch over God's flock. If you're interested in this, please contact me if you see me at church, or contact the church, and they can give you my contact information. Thank you. Oh, um... I think you also, if you're part of the safety team, I think you also get to wear those little ear things, you know, and, and you talk. It. I don't think we got the talk part. I don't know. But you got the, the cool stuff, So, uh, which is why I would do it. I don't care if you're safe. I would just like to have the, the thing in my ear. But, so the, the last couple of weeks I was talking about prayer and fasting. I wanted to, to ask, how many of you really felt like you, you, um, you gained some ground, you held on to, to at least most of your goals through this prayer and fasting this last couple weeks, you feel like you really got there. I've, I've had some really good stories and some just personal, you know, just some really good, I know I'm connecting, that kind of thing. I want to encourage you, uh, continue that on this this week, uh, next week, and I would say even maybe set some some like um, regular goals, like, like um, you know, every Tuesday afternoon, uh, you, you spend time praying, praying and fasting or something like that. Set, set some o- ongoing goals with this too. D- don't, don't just say, okay, that was last week, now I can go back to being who I was. 
We're, we're pursuing God. We're, we're going after the Lord. We're, we're hungry for him, and we're wanting to get in close, and that's what the whole, that's what this is all about. And so um, take... <laughs> I expected that to be Liz when I looked over there, but <clears throat> when you finish feeding him, come on back in. So, uh, so go with your prayer and fasting goals and push some push some goals forward uh, with this too. Now, now um, I, I did want to mention on Wednesday nights. I'm going to start this Wednesday night. I'm, I'm switching gears. We've been kind of going through one particular uh, subject for a while, and I'm going to switch gears this Wednesday night. And I'm going to talk about my favorite subject in Scripture, and this is something that I stumbled on. And back in 1991, I've, I've only heard, I've only seen one other person, and I have that person's book in my office, but I've only seen one other person ever deal with this subject anywhere, ever. And, uh, and it's something I just kind of stumbled across. I'd got a computer that I could search Greek and Hebrew. This was literally when this was the beginning of computers that could do this, and, uh, and, and took me on a trail, a journey of really studying this stuff out. And, and I'll reference things every now and then. But I think maybe five years ago I, I talked about this, but, it, but I'm going to call it um, the, the cosmic kingdom or the cosmic Jesus. And I want to show you, you say, wow, that just sounds all new age and everything. Well, then show up because I might just be off my rocker and, uh, and it would be a good opportunity for you to, to bring the man down. So, so uh, show up and, and be a part of it. It's, it's a very exciting subject. I'm going to show you some things about how big Jesus is and, and all of his creation, a lot of things that involved with, with uh, the intricacies of who he is and the, the unseen world, the seen world, all this kind of stuff. And, and I think you'll, I, th I know I enjoy it. I think you'll like it. So, so with this prayer and fasting that I've been looking at this last few weeks, I've, I've, I've been mulling something around in my mind and spirit for quite a few months. Few reasons, But the, one of the reasons is the scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, is a scripture that I've had conversations with people about in our church. We've had a lot of things. If you've been here more than four or five months, we've had a, a lot of difficult things going on in our church, going on in our families in our church, a lot of uh, very just important close people to us that that have died in the last few months, and it's been a very difficult, challenging season for us as a church. And and so while I haven't necessarily been preaching about this stuff, I've, I've uh, talked about these things at, at funerals, and I've talked about this with family members of this scripture, and the scripture is Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And I, and I want to unpack that for us a little bit and, and, and help us to see some things that maybe I just think would be really encouraging for us this morning and kind of keep the, 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 uh, the focus, narrow the focus down to, to really uh, something I think is really important. Now, the, 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 let me preface this with this. I do not speak, I'm talking about heaven this morning. I don't speak about this very often. I don't, I'll, I'll reference heaven in passing, um, hell in passing. I really don't do uh, um, a lot of sermons about hell, although I probably do more sermons about hell than I do about heaven. I, I don't really do much of either. And here's the reason. It's actually intentional. It's not accidental. And, and some of this is my issues. It's not, I'm not saying this is the right way to look at this. Some of it is actually I have some issues with this. And uh, some of them are, are, are real solid and some are kind of petty. So you figure out which ones are which. But, but uh, the, the reason that I don't really talk about or do a lot of sermons and sermon series about hell and stuff like I mean, heaven, is because when I grew up in church, and I grew up in a, a church very similar to this, um, it was a simile of God, uh, the similarities were, were um, there was some similarities and some not. It was very much more, it was a, down in the south, down in Texas, a lot of different churches down in that area that are like this, and so much more demonstrative 
uh, that kind of thing, but theologically very, very much the same. And it seemed like when I was a kid, it seemed like that all the church ever talked about was heaven. It seemed like every week it was about heaven and almost this mentality of escaping hell uh, or escaping all the the stuff that all the world is going to go to. The world was going to go to hell. We were all going to go to heaven. And so we all talked about heaven a lot. And, and that's why I don't speak about heaven a lot. Now you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why? There's not a reason. There's not a causality there. But the, the, the causality for me was I, I couldn't figure out what we were on this earth for, why we were still on this earth, if everything that we ever talked about was heaven. And then, even as a kid, I remember thinking about, and partly because uh, my best friend at the time uh, wasn't a Christian, and I, and I would always think about, well, I'm going to go to heaven, and he's going to stay here, or he's going to go to hell. And so for me, there seemed to be this disconnect that if all we ever talked about was heaven, th- that was a pretty selfish religion. It's a pretty selfish uh, approach to this. If all we ever do is talk about heaven, well, what about all the people that are going to hell? Do we care? Do we think? Because I never heard messages about them. I never heard messages about we're supposed to talk to them, witness to them, those kind of things. It was always, it was about heaven. And so I, I actually, I know this sounds weird, and, and, and I have, I'm not in the same place. I've changed a, a lot with this, but I really had a bad taste in my mouth about this, not about heaven, but about the, the, um, I, I, the, the way I would perceive it, the over-infatuation and the selfish, um, self-focused infatuation that the church had with heaven. Because it basically, to me, it felt like we were just thumbing our nose at everybody else and saying, um, you can go to hell. We're all going to heaven. You're not going to get there. And uh, there didn't seem to be any, any connection there. And so, so I, I, some good, some bad, I've stayed away from that subject for the most part, over the years. Now, with that being said, I'm going to talk about heaven this morning because here's the other part of this is it is actually a real thing. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. And it is the only place that, that we can look to that is where we actually belong, that is actually designed for us. See, originally in the garden, creation was designed in a perfected sense. Uh, we were going to live forever. In fact, I, I, I believe very strongly that even the seasons, as we understand seasons and the life cycle of, of the planet right now, is not the way God designed this. Um, the, the fact that plants and animals and human beings die, I don't, it wasn't part of God's original plan. Now, here's the part we know for sure. Some of that I'm, I'm putting in supposition. I'm making... Um, assessments according to other information. But we do know this. Human beings were not supposed to die. There was a tree of life. We were going to eat from the tree of life, and we were going to live forever. Adam and Eve were designed by God to live forever, and all of the rest of humanity that, that was going to come along was going to live forever. Animals were also going to live forever. The first animal that was ever killed, the first animal that ever died, died at the hands of God so that he could clothe Adam and Eve after they sinned. Right? So why would we assume plant, that plants were going to die? Why do we assume that? So when you see a tree uh, die and lose all of its leaves or at least go dormant for the winter, um, I don't know exactly what that looks like because we don't know. We weren't in the garden. I think God could change colors of trees without them having to die uh, for all of you that need that. 
But the, the idea that somehow that plants were going to die or something, I, I don't see that fitting into the, to the thing. And so even death itself was not ever part of God's plan. Death was never going to be a part of human existence, the planet, none of that stuff. It, we, were, we were going to live forever. And so when Paul says this statement, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? He is saying something that transcends just the humanness of my physical body, your physical body dying or ceasing to live. It goes beyond that. It's way bigger than that. And part of, I think, our responsibility is to get the bigger picture so that we can encapsulate it, the, the kind of the smaller personal part of this into our existence and to say, okay, what does it mean when Paul is saying death, where's your victory, where's your sting? Because, see, death originated with sin. Death originated with Satan. Satan created this, or created is not the right thing. He brought this to us and, and twisted or perverted the createdness of God that is us and that it is the planet, that is humanity and everything else. Satan introduced sin and he introduced death to us. So then Paul comes back and he says, yeah, but while Satan really, according to John chapter 10, Satan's job description is to steal and kill and destroy, Paul is saying, but it's not eternal. And there's only so much that he can do to you if you belong to the Lord. Now, if, um, if you don't belong to Jesus, then death is a, an eternal process. It's not, fi- it's not final. You don't die and then you cease to exist. That's, atheists believe that, that you're just... In fact, I heard an atheist recently in a video I was watching talking about how that Christians create this heaven and hell thing because they don't want to deal with the fact that they're just going to die and rot in the ground forever. That's because we're not going to die and rot in the ground forever. You're either going to spend eternity dying or you're going to spend eternity living, and you actually make the choice with that. And this is where Paul is saying, but Satan doesn't have the power to make death uh, victorious over you or that death would sting you or hurt you uh, eternally. That, That Satan can't do that. He doesn't have that actual power. And so I want to go to Matthew chapter 24. 24 verse 1 it says as jesus was leaving the temple grounds his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings but he responded do you see all these buildings i tell you the truth they will be completely demolished not one stone will be left on top of another now jesus does this neat little thing and and um and matthew in writing this and putting them together sometimes the way that this flows together in sentence we we miss the bigger picture of what's going on these first few verses here, Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about something that is going to happen in the next few decades, okay? He's talking about when Israel is attacked and Jerusalem is attacked in 70 AD and, and the temple is torn apart. In fact, he even says something. This is just something that might be interesting to you. When he says not one stone will be left on top of another, he's speaking prophetically, but not, he's not speaking like metaphorically that this means the temple is going to be destroyed. He literally means that every single stone is going to be separated from every other stone. Now, the reason you say, well, why would that happen? That, and, and how would Jesus, you know, pro- why is it an important prophecy? Because for, the, for somebody to invade, and that's what happened in, in 70 AD, is they invaded Israel invaded Jerusalem, attacked, and tore the temple apart. But they actually, the, the temple was, um, was coated, was covered on the inside with a lot of different things, wood and gold and different things like that. But because of some of the gold covering that was on the walls of the temple, 
they, they, when they attacked the temple, they actually tore the temple apart stone by stone so that they could get the gold out of the, the crevasses between the uh, stones. So when Jesus says, and even the stones will be torn down, not one stone will be left on another, just that little thing was a huge prophetic thing that Jesus says that that's, I think is pretty cool. So, so then it says in verse 3, later Jesus... Now, this is important because Jesus is talking temporarily. Jesus is talking about 30, 40 years later when uh, Jerusalem is going to be attacked. And the disciples, to, to kind of get us all on the same page with this, the disciples always thought limited. They always thought temporarily. They, they didn't see the big picture. When, when Jesus talked about um, bringing his kingdom and setting up his kingdom, Jesus is talking spiritual kingdom. They're thinking physical kingdom. They think that he is going to, to have a coup, military something, and take over Jerusalem and sit on the throne and be the, and, and the, be the king of the Israelites again in a limited, just his lifetime physical sense. And that's not what Jesus was talking about. We see over and over and over where the disciples say things and ask questions and all this kind of stuff. This is one of the moments when Jesus says something that is going to happen in a few decades. They come ask him about it, and he answers the question that starts from that moment and goes into eternity past us right now. Some of the things that Jesus is talking about, while they are part of what is happening in our existence right now, it transcends our time and it has not all happened yet. And Jesus does this amazing thing where he speaks to them right then in ways that they go, oh, okay. But then he is speaking way past their existence, too. And we recognize that, that it hasn't even happened yet. And we're 2,000 years later. So in verse 3, it says, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all this will happen. What signs will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, they use terminology that sounds very... The, the term we use is eschatological. It sounds very uh, futureness, but they're not thinking that way. We know this kind of stuff because Jesus is constantly saying, "I'm going to die." That's that's when you know when Jesus says, "I'm going to die and return, and then set up my kingdom." They're leaving the dying part out, and that it's transcendent kingdom. So when they say the signal your return, they don't know exactly what he's going to do, but they think he's going to take over physically. Part of the reason we know that is even Peter. Peter comes to Jesus when Jesus is saying. I have to die for all this to happen. They're not getting it. He says, I've got to die for all this to happen. Peter tells him, no, Jesus, stop talking like this. Stop this death talk all the time. You're so morbid. Do something else. You, you're, you don't have to die. Let's, let's, let's be happier than that. Jesus rebukes Peter and, and literally says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because it, it must have tickled um, Jesus' brain a little bit to say, well, maybe I don't have to die. And so he rebukes Peter and he says, Peter, you're not getting it. This is not a limited physicalness that I'm talking about. I am talking about the transcendence of me being the Messiah, the God of everything. And so we understand that even though they're kind of using some of the right language, he's answering a question they're not even asking. What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Anybody ever seen that, heard that, stuff like that, even sometimes... TV preachers and stuff, it's like they're the Messiah. I mean, you get that. Somebody's always claiming to be some religious leader or the end of the world guy or a Jesus person or something else. I, I mean, I've been alive 47 years, and I've seen a couple of times in my life where somebody actually claimed to be Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's one of the things. They, they will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. 
Now, this is one of the things that I think is important that, that we kind of have to get our, our minds not necessarily right about this, and we got to get our mind right. This, this is one of the interesting things that, that I, I've seen happen since I was a kid is we always look at end-time stuff according to where we're standing, according to America first, or according to the small little space of ground that you're standing in. Let, let me help you out with this. There have been wars and rumors of wars forever. We, we, we go through World War I. If you first, some of you may not realize, World War I was not called that. You rarely name a war, war, world war the first one, right? Um, you, the, it was called the Great War. In fact, it was called the Great War to end all wars. And then we had another one. It throws it off. When you, when you name it the last of all wars, uh, and then you have another one, it kind of messes everybody's history books up. But, but after World War I, we thought, okay, now that's proof right there. Jesus is coming back because we had a great war. There's been places around the planet that have been a war ad, ad nauseum, off and on forever. Then we have World War II, and we're like, okay, now Jesus is coming back. Because, why? Because we're only basing it upon where we stand. I'll give you one. Since 1948, Israel has been at a nonstop war being attacked by everybody in the Middle East. If you're in Israel... The wars, the wars and rumors of wars have been nonstop forever, it seems like. The, the, the people that were born in the 40s are now the oldest of the generations. That, and they've been in war nonstop their entire lives. People are attacking them, sending missiles, terrorists, going and bombing pizza parties. I mean, anything you can imagine over the years. We don't think about it. We forget about it until something happens. And we're, oh, the end's, the end's here. Well, while that's, those, are, those can be synonymous, it's important that we don't just focus it on where we're standing. But continue reading. <clears throat> it says, you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Just because you have wars doesn't mean we're there. It means we're on the way to there. Nations will go to war against nation and kingdoms against kingdom. There will be famines an earthquake in, in many parts of the world. This is one of the things when the uh, big flood happened down in Houston. My, my son was down there. And everybody's, I'm hearing it on the news. I'm, people are asking questions, talking about this. This is proof that, that God is judging us and the end times are upon us. Well, that's just because it happened to us. What about when a, when a, a flood sweeps across Asia and, and, and kills three or 4,000 people? That happened a handful of years ago. We weren't like the world is over. We were like, boy, that's a horrible tragedy on those people. What happens to us, we're like, the, Jesus is now done. He's through. He's judging us. We're finished. Ra wrap it up. Because it happened to us. Here's, here's the thing we've got to keep in mind. Do you realize that, that, that America is not the center of God's focus? It's Israel. And Jerusalem is the center of God's focus. It's not Colorado Springs or Houston or Miami. It's Israel. It's Jerusalem. We've got to keep our focus on that, that when we're looking at Scripture and we're, we're balancing these things out, it's not the, the, the center of America that God's focused on. There's, there's a lot of things that happen around the world that happen constantly. 
And, and we only pay attention when it happens right I, I, I remember I was in a hurricane. This years ago, I was in the Navy. And I was in a hurricane south of Cuba. Um, it, I, I guess it's still called the Caribbean, but we were actually a little bit south of what you would consider to be the Caribbean. And we're out in the, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and a hurricane comes up. And I had never been. I'd been out to sea some, and I had what, what we in the Navy call sea legs, which is I'm comfortable on the ship. I'm not getting sick, that kind of thing. I'm, you know, the rock and the roll of the ship is actually soothing, especially when you're trying to sleep. I'm comfortable with that. And then we get in a full-blown um, um, storm out in the uh, middle of the ocean. I mean, this is big. In fact, at one, I'm on a, I'm on a, um, a uh, small ship. It's a destroyer, which is like 350 maybe guys, maybe a little bit more, but about three, 350 guys. And, and the, the, the tip, the, pr- the uh, <laughs> hey, I was in the Navy, so <laughs> the little tippy point of the, of the ship out there, as we raised up in the water, you see the movies? And the water was literally like 30, 40 feet above the front of that, which is 27 feet off water line. You see what I'm saying? About 50 to 60 feet of wave. And, I, and I'm working on the bridge. It's my job. And I'm looking at that thinking, this is the day that I die. And I wasn't even, uh, you know, eating apple pie or driving in a Chevy. Okay, so. And we're rocking and rolling, and I get sick. Oh, I get so sick. And I, I let everything I go have go and go and go. Pretty soon, like six, seven hours later into the second day, I'm just dry heaving because I got nothing left. And I get, I get real sick. And they finally send me to medical and a lot of weird things. This is one part of it. They give me some medicine, do some things, and, and, I, and I go to sleep. But do you know if you're sleeping in a ship that is doing this, you're still doing this. You may be sleeping, but you're still doing this. And I finally get a little bit better. And for some reason, I know I'm like 21 at the time, for some reason, this made sense to me at the time. Hey, I feel a little bit better. I haven't eaten in two days, and I've thrown everything up over and over and over. So I'll get a little sustenance. So I went and got a package of Skittles, and I ate a bunch of Skittles. I went back up to the bridge and painted everything in rainbows. <clears throat> and I remember thinking to myself, this is what the Bible's talking about. This is the storms. This is the hurricanes. Jesus must be coming back. And I called out to him to do that, but he didn't. It's weird how we just look at where we're standing, and that's how everything is rotating. Continuing, he says that uh, this is only the first of the birth pains, which more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. See, this is one of the things that when we look at this, we never seem to get to that point in Scripture when we're looking at America and saying, um, is Jesus coming back or whatever? I do believe it's going to get worse in America. We're going to get to a, we're already to a point where Christianity is the bad guy. If you're a Christian, you're a bad guy. You can't even say Christian stuff. You can't do anything. And and it's going to get worse. But we still are not there in our country. We're not getting arrested and, and killed and stuff for the cause of Christ. But here's the reality. That stuff goes on all over the world. I just read an article this week. It's a great article. You can go to foxnews.com. Uh, the first guy's name is Choi. And he, like, it's a, his, his last name's a big, long North Korean name. And, and um, he was a North Korean Christian that escaped right before Kim Jong-un's military police were going to put him in jail. And he talks about what happens in jails and what happens in North Korea. And he escaped and he got out. And uh, they interviewed him this week. And it's, it's a powerful, powerful article. In fact, I had a bunch of stuff I was going to quote, but I just don't have time this morning from his article. 
But there, there is places all over the world, and this happens all the time, where people are being massacred, murdered for the cause of Christ, beheaded, people having limbs cut off, all kinds of stuff, m- mutilated uh, for the cause of Christ. And uh, we really do have it fairly good in America in comparison to a lot of these kind of places. We just do. Uh, very, 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 very few of us are ever going to have somebody try to physically accost us, at least up until this point, for being a Christian. But I do believe that that is on the horizon fairly quickly. And he says, but, but you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Now, this is one of the things that I think is, is interesting. We always look at this the exact opposite way that we're supposed to look at this stuff. It says, sin will be rampant, and, and the love of many will grow cold. I believe that the causality, we always say, well, sin will be rampant, so um, people will grow cold. Or the spirit of Antichrist at First Thessalonians, Thessalonians are talking about, not the Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of anti-Jesus mentality that pervades, gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and then people, uh, their love, in a general sense, love toward humanity, true love, not, not, um, not uh, just sex love or selfish love, or that, but, but real love, or you just really care for others, that that grows cold, and then love for God, which is the primary thing it's talking about, will grow cold also. I believe it's the exact opposite. As the church, the, the people of God, the people that truly are supposed to have this good relationship with God, the more that our love grows cold for God, the more that it allows the spirit of Antichrist to take hold, that allows the anti-Jesus mentality to, be, to, to become strong and, and pervasive in, in society. If, if, if the Christians in, in America, and I'm, I'm saying we really just were passion after God. We really cared about God. Not about just going to church and having fun times at church and all that stuff. You know I pick on that stuff regularly. I think we have too much just church stuff and church fun and all that. And it's very, it's very um, fake. It's very topical. It's not, it's not really passion after the Lord. And, and if the church would be passionate after the Lord, then the spirit of Antichrist wouldn't be growing stronger. It would be growing dimmer. Because we would be loving Jesus, telling other people about Jesus, and really invading the darkness with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, and the spirit of Antichrist would be smaller and smaller and smaller. The reason that it's growing so strong is because we have already started getting less and less and less in love with Jesus Christ. You might want to go check on Josh. He's new to this. So here are some things I want to throw out and make you, to, to make you think about. Looking at our world, looking at all this stuff, looking at what's happening, and kind of the, the bad news, the negativeness of the day. There's a lot of stuff. I'm just going to mention a handful of things. One is, right now, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, um, or as he's called by um, Trump, um, uh, missile man, rocket man. I love that. I think it's one of the coolest things a president's ever said. Just call a world leader out and be like, you're a crazy rocket man. That's what you are. I love that. But rocket man's building nuclear missiles. And he's being very open about this. He's being very plain about this. He wants to destroy America. He wants to destroy South Korea. He wants to take over South Korea. That's been North Korea's plan from the beginning. That, by the way, is what the Korean War was about, is communism coming down. And I know people pick on that in Vietnam and all this. But, but both of those worlds, wars stopped communism at some particular level. In Vietnam, we pulled out and got away, and communism took over in North Korea, South Korea. We stayed long enough that there is a DMZ across there. 
okay? Um, and, and we just kind of pick on those things and move on. But North Korea wants to control the world. Kim Jong-un is a nutcase, and he wants to control the world. And he wants to bomb Japan. He wants to... Uh, uh, he, he says he doesn't want to bomb China. That's because they're the buddies, but, I mean, it's all messed up. And the next thing is we've got Russia with uh, Vladimir Putin. We, you know, it's interesting to me, according to how the media goes, is how, the, how Putin is, is perceived. Sometimes he's a good guy. Before the election, Putin was the good guy. Russia was the good country. We need to follow their plans. We need to do all the stuff they're doing. And then, you know, we had a, an election. Everybody's like, no, Russia got involved, and they're the bad guys. Well, here's the reality with this. Putin used to be KGB. Okay? Don't forget that. He used to be a murdering assassin for Russia. Back when communism, in fact, I have a picture in my computer. It's a cool picture of Ronald Reagan in like 1984, 1985, and it's during the Cold War, and he goes and visits Russia, and they're trying to, to work out you know, Cold War stuff, and it's right before the wall falls, and, and he goes into Russia, and they're doing a little th uh, media thing, and there's a bunch of photographers and journalists asking him questions and stuff. One of the photographers is a very young Vladimir Putin. I've got the picture. He's sitting there with a the camera like he, the camera's probably got a lens cap. He don't even know how to use it. He's not a journalist. He's not a, he's, he was a spy. He was there to infiltrate situations and circumstances as a young KGB guy. He's not a good guy. He just went into Crimea and said, hey, you now belong to me. And our government didn't do anything about it. We just said, oh, you're just going to go in and take over a country and massacre people. And okay, whatever. Ukraine. Ukraine is constantly looking over their shoulder, waiting, waiting for Russia to do something to them. Because why? They do that constantly. And then they get free, and then they're back. And then they get free. Putin is a bad guy. Don't ever lose sight of that. And he would love to just control the world. He would love to bring communism and, and, and all this stuff into it. We see where a lot of, of Europe is being run over and attacked by Islam and the Muslims, and these countries are just letting it go. France just stays consistent, just lays down when everybody comes through. France just gives up. Now we're seeing it with Germany. We're seeing it with Denmark. We're seeing all these different countries. They're just whatever. We don't, want, we don't want to fight, so we'll just let you murder us a little bit at a time instead of really stand up and fight and say this is not okay. And that, that attitude is pervaded all across the world, and it's so strong in America too. This, it just gets me where we can't, we can't just really be honest and say, hey, this is crazy. This is stupid. You shouldn't be acting like this. shouldn't be thinking like this. Um, th this week, the, one of the NFL owners, I forget, I think he's from the Houston Texans, they were talking about all the players kneeling and doing all this stuff, and this NFL owner says something along the lines, I, I may not have an exact right, but we're not going to let the inmates run the institution. And the media went nuts. How dare you say such a mean thing? There's a lot more mean things he could have said than that. That wasn't very mean at all. My dad used to say that about me and my brother all the time. <laughs> Actually, what my dad said is, we're not going to let the crazies run the asylum. That's what my dad said. But, but th this, is, this is the thing. Is that guy, what did that guy, that owner didn't do anything wrong. He's actually addressing something that should be addressed. you got a bunch of these multimillionaire punks acting like punks. And, he's, and he just tried to say something about it, and then they attack him. That's, that's this mentality that's floating around our world right now. And it's, and it's goofy, it's stupid, and I believe it's actually uh, evilly motivated. The Philippines, right now, Muslim attacks throughout the Philippines are on all-time and crazy-level highs. 
that they're just they're just randomly killing massacring people. We're seeing this all over in Africa. We're seeing this in in a Togo. We're seeing this in, in a lot of the northern African countries. You see this in Niger. I mean, where the, you you can't if you say something about Jesus, you're a dead man. You're you're not allowed to say something about Jesus. If you're a woman, you're going to be persecuted and controlled and 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 basically a slave. But that's okay because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Same thing with Syria. What about Syria right now? Talking about Putin. Putin's best friends with Syria. Syria's killing their own people, gassing them and murdering their own people. And Putin's like, hey, that's a guy I'd like to hang out with. And we're not doing anything about this. And then, literally, as I said earlier, in the Middle East, since 1948, it's been anti-Israel. Let's kill them all. That's the mentality. And so when we see things like wars and rumors of war, there really is stuff going on around the world. Now, here's the reality. This is where we have to say that, that while this, this planet has some really good things about it, I, I, love, I love life and I love, I love where I live here in Springs. I just, I, there's some wonderful things. Um, fall, I love the fall. I just love everything. But you know what? There's also a lot of pain that comes along with being on this planet. A lot of, a lot of anger, a lot of hate, a lot of evil, a lot of negative, a lot of difficult things. And, and so for us to be able to find balance, it's not just, I, I, I had a conversation with somebody recently that was talking about the way, I, the way I deal with all the stuff is I take a hike in the mountains. I totally get that. I love to get my mountain bike up and get in the mountains, and that's a nice release for me. But it's very temporary. It's not a, it's not a real release. It's not, because then when you come back out of the mountains, you know, it's like that, you know, just hear the leaves under the, the tires, and you're rolling, and it's like you roll back into traffic and horns, and, and you just want to kill somebody on the road again. I mean, you, it's right back. It's, you can grab right back onto that again. But, but there is something that is actual truth here. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, says, Then at last the sign of the Son of Man, which is Jesus, is coming, will appear in the heavens. There will be a deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. That's going to be an amazing sound, don't you think? That sound's going to be heard all over the planet. I was thinking about this last night watching the World Series and, and um, the Dodgers, who I hate, and the Astros, who I hate even more, playing in the World Series. So I'm cheering for the Dodgers, who I hate. And um, <laughs> well, they were winning, so... But uh, I, I think about this. Sergio and I were sitting there watching some of the game, and I was thinking about being at the World Series. I remember when the Rockies were making their World Series run back in '07, uh, and I went to one of the playoff games, and the energy and the excitement and all that. And that's a small little – that's like 40,000 people in one space talking about one thing, which is baseball, and the electricity and the excitement and all this stuff. Think about the entire world having that same feeling because the king just blew the trumpet. How big is that moment? How, how transcending is that moment? And, it, and <clears throat> he says, they send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the heaven, the earth and heaven, that every single human being that belongs to them, he just begins to round them up. And he does it by blowing a trumpet, and our ears pick up, and we're like, it's on. Now we're going. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, he says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. 
And all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are his, and the goats are not. And he will place the sheep at his right hand, and the goats at his left. Years ago, I was sitting with my uh, wife's grandfather, and he, he was a little off on some things theologically. And, and uh, politically, he was what we call a, um, a uh, yellow dog Democrat. You know what that means? That means, and I asked him this, so I knew to know that this is the true definition. I asked him one time, if uh, a monkey was running for an office and he was a Democrat, uh, would you vote for the monkey over a Republican that was a human? And he said, yep, that's not the way he said it, but he said, yep, that's straight, something like that. But uh, I thought, okay, that's a yellow dog Democrat. I will vote for a Democrat no matter what. We see that in Republican Party, we see that in Democrat. And he told me one time, he said, you know, this scripture... And he pulls out the Bible, and he says, and he turns to Jeremiah 23, and he says, in Jeremiah 23, it talks about the Lord separating the sheep from the goats. And you know what that means? And I was like, no, please, enlighten me. And he said, he said God's going to put all the goats on the left. That's the Republicans. He's going to put all the sheep on the right. That's the Democrats. Republicans are going to go to hell. The Democrats are going to go to heaven. I was like, oh, thank you for your wisdom. So that's not what it's talking about. The people that are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, whether they're Republican or Democrat, Libertarian, um, Communist, Socialist, or whatever, the people that belong to Jesus Christ, they're with him. That's what that means. And then he rounds all these people up and brings them to him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. I've done a lot of funerals over the years, hundreds of funerals over the years. And it's amazing to me how very different a funeral with a family full of Christians is than a funeral with a family that's not full of Christians. And how different it feels, how different it looks, and how people, while they're sad and they're missing this, this person, this family member, dad, or our, our spouse, or something that's gone on to be with the Lord, they... They, they are going to miss them, but there's this something inside that says, but it's actually just temporary. We are going to hang out again. We are going to be able to connect with each other again. But right now, I have to stay here. They're on with Jesus, and they're cool with Jesus because they're not missing us because they're with Jesus. But there is this, I'm missing them, but I'm not deeply, deeply, oh, no, what has happened kind of thing. Because we know, we know, I'm going to see them again. I was thinking about this the other day. I've got a picture of my grandparents in my office. Those are, those are my favorite people on the planet. Both of them have passed away. My grandfather years ago and my grandmother just a couple years ago. And uh, they were my favorite people on the planet. I love those people. They were so fun. And they would come visit us, Lynn and I, and they lived in Arkansas. And they'd come out to Colorado to visit us. And they would call, hey, this is your grandpa. We're coming to see you guys. I'm like, okay, let me get out my calendar. He said, we'll be there in 30 minutes. All right. He used to do that all the time. And he's like, hey, I'm here. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then stay for three or four weeks. And my grandma, I don't know what it was, but she would use every single roll of toilet paper we had in the house. I don't know what she was doing with it. I don't know what she's doing with it, but she, I don't know. That's just, you didn't need to know that. So <laughs> he says that, that those who have died will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since, and this is the key, guys, for since we believe that Jesus died, and was raised to life again. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him, back with him, the believers who have died. That Jesus died so that when we die, it's temporary. Now, you can spend eternity dying, 
That's what hell is. Spend eternity dying. Or you can spend eternity living with Christ in heaven. And this is why, this is the difference. I've mentioned this many times. This is the difference in heaven and hell. Heaven was, was created for us. That's why we want to be there. But, but this earth, while it was created for this, has changed with sin and sickness and death and disease and all this stuff. And that's why we don't fit here anymore. And that's also why we don't fit in hell. Because scripture says that hell was created as punishment for Satan and his demons. It was not created as punishment for humanity. Let me give you a little insight to understand the way to look at this. God is not sending people to hell to punish them. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, you choose which side you want to be on. If you want to be on Satan's side and his demons, then you're going to spend eternity with them. If you want to be on my side and you want my blood to cover you, you're going to spend eternity with me. Now, heaven is made for us to be with Christ. That's why it's going to be such an amazing place. Hell was not created for us. It was created as punishment for Satan. But if you choose him, that's where you spend eternity. It's not that you say, I did something bad and God says, I'm going to send you to hell to punish you. That is not what's going on. We're choosing either Christ or we're choosing whatever else. And the whatever else falls into the camp of Satan. And then you're going to spend eternity there. He says, but you don't have to. Jesus died, so you don't have to keep dying. We tell you this directly. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the, with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then... Together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Now, let me give you a little bit of uh, theological thing to process here. There is something in the, in the church world, which is, this is actually a debated thing, but there's something called the rapture, which is what we call the, the taking away of the saints. This is what I believe is being talked about right here in verse 17. Then... Together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I believe very strongly, and I know there's different beliefs even in this room, but I believe very strongly in what we call a pre-tribulation rapture. Tribulation seven years, and the rapture happens before. That's what I believe. And, I, and I've had people even talking about this with Christianity, but specifically with the rapture, they, they'll say, well, you're just, you're just going with that. That was just created as, a, um, as a, uh, an escape to get away from the tribulation. Okay, I'm actually okay with that. It, I mean, even if I'm wrong about it, let me believe it till I die. I don't believe we're wrong about this. I believe there is such a thing as the rapture happened before the tribulation. The reason people get confused is because they confuse the second coming, which would be the camp that says, no, the Bible talks about a post-tribulation rapture, after tribulation. They're confusing the second coming with this verse right here in, ver in, in verse 17. This is why I believe this. Let me explain it. It says that we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. At the second coming, Jesus comes to the earth and plants his feet on the earth. On each side of the mountain, mountain splits the two, river runs the other direction. He actually stands on the earth and we are with him. This says that, the, that this particular thing in scripture that he's talking about is when we go and meet him in the clouds. They're not the same thing. They're not the same moment. One is we go to meet him in the clouds. The other is he comes at the second coming after tribulation, puts his feet on the ground. That's why people, in my opinion, get confused about this. Now, either way, regardless of how you believe about this, we do understand that the Lord is taking us with him. That he is taking us. 
Okay, that's an important thing, that we will be caught up with him in the air. Then <clears throat> we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And this should be an encouraging thing. When somebody's going through something difficult, it is not just cliche to say to them, but there's more coming and it's better. You don't have to just deal with what's happening here. There's more. I'm running out of time five minutes ago, so let me hurry. Verse 51, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, the blinking of eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. How many of you would like to get to that place? That this body that just, as I get older, I'm realizing a perfect body wouldn't be bad. I used to have a perfect body. But as I get older, I realize this is rough. I, I, I had a hair in my ear the other day, and uh, I pulled this hair, and my toe went like that at the end. I don't know what happened. but So then it gets to the Scripture. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? You don't have any power. You can't do this. In Revelation chapter 21, I would love for you to read all of Revelation 21 and all of 22. I don't have time to do that this morning. I'm just picking out a few. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This is real stuff. This is really going to happen. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. When he wipes our eyes, all that stuff goes away. No death, no pain, no sorrow, no nothing. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Write this down, for I tell you what is trustworthy and true. And he said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And, and in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, we see where the springs of this water of life come from. Then the angel showed me a river from the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The water actually comes from Jesus. How awesome is that? And it flowed down from through the center of Main Street. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life. Remember the tree of life that we left in the garden? Same tree of life. We get to reach back up, pick that fruit off, and eat that fruit again. But if you're thinking, ah, I don't like apples, because some reason it always is an apple tree, which is not true. But he says, bearing 12 crops of fruit, a fresh crop each month, so you can rotate your, your fruit. God's a thinker, isn't he? The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Not a curse upon our bodies, not a curse upon relationships, not a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face. That's us. We will see His face. And His name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun. For the Lord will shine on them and they will reign forever. Why don't you stand with me? Bow your heads with me. Lord, we want to see this in our spirit right now. God, the stuff I didn't read about the streets of gold and the, the gates of pearl and, Lord, all this stuff, that's just amazingness. Lord, but of all of that stuff, to me, the, the, 
most amazing is that I get to look at you face to face. I get to see my grandma and grandpa, and I get to see friends. They're already dead, but Lord, most importantly, I get to see you face to face. Lord, help us to realize right now that the stuff we're dealing with on this earth, while it's big, it's still temporary. Lord, help us to realize that you are bigger than anything we're dealing with. And even though it, it, it can be painful, it can be difficult, it can be frustrating, Lord, that it is still temporary and you're bigger. And that, Lord, we belong with you in heaven. Jesus, help us to see it, help us to get it. Keep your head bowed. I want to ask you this question. I haven't asked this question in a few weeks. It's probably the longest I've ever gone. If you say, I need Jesus to be in charge of me, that's the most important thing. That's where this all starts. Jesus, I need you. I need you. I want, I want that direction. I want the heaven. I want all this stuff. But Jesus, I need you. I need you to be Savior over my life. I'm not going to ask you to come down front or anything like that. But if that's you and you say, I need Jesus to be in charge of my life, we're going to pray together as a whole group. If that's, if that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. few hands. I don't want to rush through this. And uh, really the raising of hands is just so I can pray for you later. It's it's not like God can't doesn't know until you raise your hand. He knows your heart. So I want us to pray together and every one of us in the room, if you'd pray with me, but for you that raised your hand or didn't, um, make this your personal prayer. And we're just going to ask Jesus to be Lord over our lives. So every one of us together, let's, let's repeat this prayer together. Lord God, I need you be God over my life. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. I want to spend the rest of my life serving you and pleasing you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us, really making it that simple, that if we're serious, would you just forgive us? Lord, I don't understand it, but I do, I do want it, and I do embrace it in faith. And Jesus, you just wash us clean. We thank you for this. God, you're so good. <coughs> God, we thank you for you. We thank you for allowing us to be part of this grand thing you call the body of Christ. Fill us with your presence, your power. Keep us focused on the reality that eternity with you is, is what we need to focus on. Keep our, that as our priority in Jesus' name. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them and they can also be headed toward heaven. Let somebody know about Jesus. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. Shake somebody's hand, hug their neck. We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.